I had a dream last night. This is the dream. Remember, it's just a dream. I arrived at church on a Sunday morning. It wasn't any church I recognized, but many of the people in the dream were from here. I noticed upon arrival that there was a new church sign replacing the old battered one, and I knew in my dream that Ron Williams had made the new sign. I don't know how I knew that, but I knew that in the dream. I found my office and went to my computer to review my sermon as I do every Sunday morning and remember that I, remembered that I had given my computer to Donna Corbeil to upgrade the memory. It was a dream. I had printed out a copy of my sermon previously, but I couldn't find it. So I had an assistant who was helping me to look for it. But I was also befuddled because I couldn't find the sweater that I wanted to wear to the Sunday school class that I was teaching that morning. Finally, I just gave up and went to the Sunday school class. Fran Blaney was there and others from the congregation. I explained why I was there a few minutes late because I was spending time looking for my sweater. And the class kindly pointed out to me that if I looked under the jacket I was wearing, I would find the sweater that I was looking for. So I smiled and started teaching the lesson and then woke up. So maybe this is a picture of my future. I I don't know. It was a dream. But I was clearly thinking about the community of faith when I went to bed. I was clearly thinking about that. And I've been thinking about the fellowship all week long. And I hope to provoke you to do the same in the week ahead. Now, this morning, I'd like to invite you to read four or five scriptures with me aloud. And if the slides will cooperate, we'll go to the first one. John 15, 12. Read with me. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all and especially for those of the family of faith. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual affection, love one another deeply from the heart. These verses do not cover all that Jesus and his disciples have to say about the fellowship of the believers in Christ. Did you know, do you remember, that our most basic Christian Confession, the Apostles' Creed, says nothing about the Bible, 
but has something to say about the fellowship of believers. We believe in the communion of saints. One of the hymns we sometimes sing has this line in it. And mystic sweet communion with those whose faith is one. Right? We sing that. If, when I was a teenager back in, you know, 1922, um, I heard people sing, and friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. And, and these songs and others like them capture a very important truth. We believe that the saints will live together forever. We believe that. The people of God are bound together for time and eternity, and this is the choice of God for us. Let me tell you how I think about this. Imagine you win a cruise on a luxury liner that is set to sail around the world starting about six months from now. It's going to take you a year to make the journey. You will be assigned a very small sleeping quarters, but you will have the run of the entire ship, which includes large decks, large rooms for reading, a central dining area. Everything will be provided, and you will travel with 100 people from your community, neighbors all. The only difficult thing will be this. You don't get to choose who you journey with. All 100 people will be selected randomly. Yes, you get to choose whether you will go or not, but if you go, you are going to spend a year with various people, some of whom you don't know, and it's even possible that some of the neighbors you don't like will be selected for the trip. So what are you going to do? Will you accept an all-expenses, no-consequences paid vacation? Will you try to think of ways to avoid certain neighbors? Will you try to find out in who's going to go in advance so you can build up alliances before the trip starts? Sort of like an episode of Survivor. Imagine being stuck on a ship for a year with a person you don't like, can't get along with, maybe even despise. Would that be vacation or would that be torture? Of course, the wise organizers of the trip know that this might be a problem. So as soon as they announce the names of the people who have been chosen to go, they also announce a special program that will meet every Wednesday night before the trip starts to help you to learn to get along with your neighbors. You are taught communication skills. You are taught to appreciate the distinctive gifts of others. You are given exercises to help you learn patience and problem skills, problem solving skills. You are engaged in conversations with your neighbors to help you appreciate their life experiences. You are reminded of the fact that you are going to have to get along with a lot of different kinds of folks. And somehow, the exercise of getting along with folks helps you prepare to enjoy the gift that you are being given. Slow the fear and the anxiety you had about getting along with others begins to fade away. No, you, you aren't necessarily at ease with every one of your neighbors, but you have a new appreciation of the differences and you are beginning to believe that you can survive a year-long trip with these previously unknown 
or unappreciated neighbors. Do you want to know one of the primary reasons the church is in decline today? Most people, when they run into any type of conflict, simply run away to avoid it. They are not equipped to get along with others. They carry the mistaken notion that happiness means being completely comfortable at every moment of every day. Few people have the desire to endure anything uncomfortable, especially when it involves being forced to deal with people who are not like them, whose values are not exactly the same, who have different approaches to life than the ones they embrace. Few people realize that working through difficult relationships, facing difficult situations, actually helps us develop character and backbone and internal strength. Without these kinds of experiences and exercises, we remain like children, unable to cope with the world around us as it really is. And in increasing measure, people can't get along with people. We have difficulty talking reasonably with people who have different views. So instead, we shout at them on social media. Rather than listening to others, we just keep repeating our own opinions again and again in the hope of drowning out any voice that is different than ours. It is fascinating to me that Facebook understands this, but we do not. Facebook makes you comfortable by parroting back to you arguments, posts, and blogs from people who are saying the same things that you have either liked or posted yourself. You click the like button because Facebook has already successfully discovered your opinions and now is feeding back to you others who think the same way you think. That makes you comfortable. That keeps you checking in. That keeps you clicking likes. And it keeps you seeing Facebook's advertisers. Imagine how poorly Facebook would do if they sent you posts, articles, and blogs from, people's, from people whose opinions you did not support, people who you didn't agree with, or people who were from the opposite side of your political spectrum. You would run away, you would stop using Facebook, and Facebook would close down. Facebook is in the business of never challenging your opinion. Social media never wants to offend you by giving you some bit of information that might be objectionable to you. On site, online sites want to keep you circulating in your own universe, unaware that anyone thinks differently, and that tends to reinforce your own opinions, making you increasingly think that you are right about everything. And that makes you less open to anyone who thinks differently than you. That makes you more arrogant about the rightness of your opinions. That makes you less patient with folks who disagree with you. And that makes 
it more difficult for you to get along with anyone who disagrees with you, let alone deal with God's command, which is love one another. I think we're in trouble. I think the church of Jesus Christ, which has often caved into societal trends of individualism and isolationism and me first politics is in trouble because the command of Jesus simply is love one another. The society is conspiring to help us escalate our differences, to shout our opinions, and to relish our divisions, since after all, we're always right because, well, our truth is the most important truth there is. And that's everyone's individual opinion. I think, you may find this statement heretical, but I think that the practice of hospitality is as important to Bible reading to the development of every Christian. Here's why I think this. First of all, Bible reading is supposed to happen in community. The community is the setting in which the Bible was designed to be read. Paul wrote letters to churches for the most part, and those letters were read in services, not in someone's private office. The setting in which the teachings of the apostles were given were set in the context of correspondence to groups. When you remove the context, when you remove the setting of the letters, it doesn't read the same anymore. Consider this. When Christians are born again, they're born into a kingdom, into a family, into a community. There never was any part of God's design that gave new spiritual birth into individuals and placed them in isolation. Never. God has always brought people from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And so our natural setting is in community. And we can't afford to forget that. This is Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And now he describes what that means. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, hear these words, bearing with one another in love. It doesn't say like, partying with one another in love, right? Paul's acknowledging that when we're together, there will be some elbows, some rough edges, some difficulties, and that that's okay. And part of walking in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received involves bearing with one another in love. Making every effort, he goes on to say, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You don't create the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit creates the unity of the Spirit. But it's your job to protect it by the way you walk. And that's going to require investment on your part. It just doesn't happen. You can't flick the fellowship on autopilot and just expect it to fly. 
There isn't that in the fellowship. We have to bear with one another. It's an active verb. And we have to make every effort to protect the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And Paul reminds us, there is one, only one body and only one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. I don't think there are clearer words in all the Bible, with perhaps the exception of Jesus' particular words at the Last Supper. Our central task is to love one another. We love by valuing one another. We learn to value one another by being together. And in the process of caring for one another, we are also cared for. The task of knitting together the fellowship, well, it's your task. It's not my task. It's your task. If I'm the only one doing this task, well, I had planned it in illustration, but I think it might take a little longer than I expected, but maybe I can help you visualize it. Chima, I don't think I'm gonna do this today. We practiced this, but it took us a long time. But can you imagine if I held onto this piece of string and I passed it to you in the congregation and you threw it back to me, and then I passed it to you, then I passed it to you, and each time you threw it back to me, you threw it back to me, at the end of the day, after I passed it all together, I'd be holding 47 strings, and there'd be a string from each of you to me, and then when I dropped my string, all of your strings would drop, and there'd be no connection between any of you, and all that would be left with our strings on the ground, right? But if instead of passing it to you and back to me and back and back and back and back, I passed it to you and you 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 passed it to you and back this way and over here and you passed it to you and this way, and then at the end you passed it back to me, then I would be holding just two strings, right? And when I dropped those strings, what would happen to the web of connection? Nothing, because you would have all been interconnected together. And that illustration matters, because there is coming a day when Nancy and I will reach the age that we will daughter off together to some retirement home and eat green jello and watch afternoon TV. And when that happens, if I'm holding all those strings and I drop them, if, if this fellowship is centered on me, we have a serious problem. And if you expect me or Nancy or Julia and Chima to knit this fellowship together for you, then you are preparing for disaster, right? But the job of knitting this fellowship together is yours. You must take on this fellowship. Don't miss this point. When we do the work that Christ has charged us to do to knit this fellowship together, not only are you knitting the fellowship together, you are knitting yourselves into the fabric of the church 
and you are creating support for yourself and your family because the day will come when you will need that support. We are not designed to live forever in these bodies on this earth. So difficulty will come to us and to our loved ones. And being held in the web of the fellowship of the church is very important on dark and difficult days. I've mentioned recently the example of Thomas. Thomas the disciple who was not present when Jesus first appeared. Who had doubts who wasn't prepared to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But because he was faithful to the fellowship, the next time Jesus appeared, he was present. And he was able to be brought in with the rest. And and by his faithfulness to the fellowship, the fellowship helped him overcome his doubts, as Jesus was not willing for him to be left behind. And you remember Paul's words, make every effort to maintain the unity. You know that making every effort is our work. But I I wonder, in your minds, in my mind, how much does make every effort amount to when it comes to knitting together the fellowship? Are you making every effort if you connect with your friends outside of a church service twice a year? Is it Is it every quarter? Is it once a month? I mean, make every effort. What does that mean? How often, how much time, how much energy do you have to give to this project? This project of investing your life to bind together the fellowship of the body of Christ. And I began to wonder what would happen in the life of this fellowship if just four more families decided to aggressively make every effort to bind the fellowship together? What if just four families would commit to one night a month to the work of weaving the fellowship together? You say, Pastor, that would be a big commitment. And I say, no pain, no gain. And hospitality doesn't need to be pain. It can almost be all gain. But you say, you know, it's hard to do this with little kids, and I'm, I'm afraid my kids won't behave well. My furniture is too old, and I will be embarrassed. Our house is old and is in poor condition. Don't let pride keep you from doing what God's word commands each of us to do. And don't forget, hospitality doesn't have to be centered in your home. Hospitality can be a hike on a local trail, a picnic lunch at a local park, a swim at the town pool, a little pickleball at the town courts. A game of canasta with a little bit of popcorn. What hospitality requires is time, attention, and effort. But it yields great results. It shouldn't be lost on you that a strong fellowship is attractive and is an instrument God will use 
to draw people into his family. Fellowship is a basic type of evangelism that is important. If you don't feel that you can witness to the grace of God easily because your words all get twisted up, try fellowshipping instead. Try living in an open and accepting way with your neighbors, inviting them in for popcorn or whatever it is you're able to offer. The bottom line is the command of God to us through his word is make every effort to bind the fellowship together so that we can support one another and live in peace. I'm going to invite you to sing a song with me in closing this morning. The words are on the screen. If you're not familiar with it, you can find it in the hymnal on 679, but the words are up here. And I'm wanting us just to hear each other's voices today. So I've asked the instrumentalists to stay where they are, and it will just be us singing these, and I want you to hear one another. And hopefully enough of you know the hymn that we'll be able to carry on together. Okay, let's try together. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are brothers on the road. We are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the night time of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you, speak the peace you long to hear. I will weep when you are weeping, when you laugh, I'll laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow till we've seen this journey through. When we sing to God in heaven, we shall find such harmony. Born of all we've known together, of Christ's love and agony. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. It's my prayer that in the days ahead, you will not only dream about the fellowship of believers, but you will dream about what this fellowship could be if together 
we made every effort to knit the fellowship together to honor Christ in obedience to his command. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've heard your word and we confess that we have not always made every effort. Forgive us for that. But by your Spirit's direction, show us the steps forward we need to make as families and individuals so that our hearts can be bound together, so that together we can witness to your glory, so that together we can demonstrate your goodness to a world that desperately needs to be woven into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to live worthy of the calling that we have received. Enable us to be bearers of your glory. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. And now may the Holy Spirit inspire you to knit the fellowship together so that our lives lived together may glorify God now and always. Amen. Go in peace.